All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact HR Podcast. Today, we have someone who I consider a true HR professional, Narsheen Hussein. I've known Narsheen for many years. We worked together at Credit Suisse, although we didn't actually work together. We didn't actually do anything specific together. Um, And now I have the pleasure of working with Narsheen directly. She's the Global Director of HR for Madison International Realty, which is a client of Jackson Lucas, and we partner closely to bring talent to her firm. She's a great wealth of information in the HR space and is somebody who truly embodies what it means to be a human resources leader. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce Narsheen. And by the way, if you like our podcast, please share, comment, and suggest to your friends. So hi, Narsheen. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you here. Um, It was a pleasure to see you yesterday at our panel, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to it. But let's start with um, you and your background. Tell us about you, your background, where you grew up, just where it all began. Oh, hi, Debbie. Uh, Great seeing you, and uh, thank you for having me on today's episode. Uh, Just I love talking about it, all things HR, not necessarily about myself, but um, human resources as a career, uh, uh, just my profession, the field is is a passion of mine. So a little bit more about me. I am a kid from Brooklyn. Uh, my parents immigrated here to the U.S. from Pakistan in the 80s, and I'm the child of a uh, sunny tree-lined Brooklyn and Midwood. I went to public school, uh, elementary and high school. I had a privilege to attend a specialized high school, uh, Brooklyn Tech, in, again, the wonderful borough of Brooklyn. And then I really got to come out of my shell and excel in science, math, and uh, I had a cousin, I have a cousin, who was a super super, super over overachiever. She completed high school in three years and uh, she went on to medical school. So my parents uh, felt it was very important for me to go down in that path too. So I took AP biology and a few other classes, pre-college high school. And so I thought I was the smartest, smartest kid since kids were in cousin, Since your cousin. (laughs) And I, I wanted to go to UCLA Uh and uh, I having a 5 p.m. Uh, deadline curfew, uh, my parents just were not in that zone of allowing me to go across country uh-huh. uh, to college and being on my own. So I settled um, and decided to go to school in New York. So I attended NYU mm-hmm. and I uh, was um, in 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 pre pre med and uh, quite frankly, I I flunked pretty badly. So being a A student, 95s all through and through, I feel like I was getting uh, Bs and some Cs. So my first semester was very, very difficult and very, very emotional draining. Uh-huh. Uh, and I went through a lot and I, uh, a lot of freshmen go through a lot and I'm one of those people that did. And I just learned um, the classes weren't my passion and I had the most super awesome job on campus. I was a uh, in the office of student activities in the budget office. So I had a job at 18 uh, uh-huh. to manage the budgets of all of NYU student clubs. 
and that I was handling money upwards of $2 million and ensuring kids were not frauding the NYU system uh, with fake receipts and so forth. So I had this element of, of, of giving advice, uh, directing people, leading, and just being this monitor, coach, advisor, uh, Q&A person at a very early age. So uh, NYU and... Um, I stayed at that job actually freshman to senior year and uh, I had a huge desire uh, on the academic side to switch gears, not just because I wasn't doing well in biology, but uh, I felt like that was in my calling. So I switched over uh, to the school of education and I I became a a media culture and communications major um, with marketing minor. And I wanted to be uh, an advertising guru. So I took all these classes mm-hmm. and I landed a cool internship at a well-known arts um, institution, a nonprofit on Park Avenue called the Asia Society. And uh, really cool. I used to see our board member, Tom Brokaw, in, in our hallways. It was it was very chic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of you who are not familiar, uh, you should uh, check out uh, Asia Society on Park and 70th. It's wonderful. It's a it's a nonprofit, um, a form of an NGO and a museum. It, it, it offers up um, just many uh, services. So I love being there. And my boss traded me into HR uh, to be an HR assistant um, one summer um, when their HR assistant resigned and uh, I said okay I could toggle both sides and I I did and then the HR team asked me to come back during um, the school year as a part-time assistant so I did and I I had a really cool job as a high school senior and it made me realize I could do this full-time so long story short I excelled in numbers and spreadsheets. So I got a first job in, in compensation at Deutsche Bank. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, it was, again, a huge uptick from what I had been accustomed to. Um, uh, my colleagues were in five locations, um, LA, New York, London, Frankfurt, and Hong Kong. These are colleagues I spoke to on a daily basis. And I I just took everything in. I absorbed everything. Uh, during the early 2000s, um, Deutsche Bank had just completed its merger of Bankers Trust. Um, and for those of you who are familiar, Bankers Trust is a le- legendary, one of the original uh, American iBanks. And it's... Oh, no. uh, I'm just going to cut you off for one second there because I worked at Bankers Trust then. Oh, I was a Bankers yeah. Trust employee. I never knew that that you were in that in that same department. Yeah. To your point exactly, Bankers Trust was a legendary place. People loved it. I loved it. It was my yeah. first job out of college, and then it went away, and it was very devastating. But it sounds like you were on the receiving end of that going away. Yeah. So I worked with so many cool people. I had, uh, again, um, assigned to a division of the bank known as the Global Transaction Bank. So Mm -hmm. again, uh, um, A, it was not uh, initially the sexy part of the bank like sales and trading, but it was very steady revenue and always outperforming. And our business leaders were 
also the best of the best and super smart uh, Wharton grads and mm -hmm. who's who. So then that business got merged into the investment bank. Um, DB went through some um, issues and um, really restructurings happened and continue to happen. And I just kept, uh, kept taking on more and more responsibilities. I went from compensation to a full-on generalist role mm -hmm. where I was involved with performance management, coaching people, involved with hiring, restructuring act activities, outsourcing activities. And I mean, it was a wealth of information. Uh, I, I felt like I was on a treadmill so early in my mm -hmm. career. And the institution really entrusted me with just, if you show up and deliver, we're going to keep giving you more work. And at that time, I also decided uh, DB had a very generous uh, student um, a tuition reimbursement policy. So I started, um, I, I applied to the Columbia Org Psych program mm -hmm. and I attended I attended grad school at night. So uh, I was on Wall Street and then I would take uh, the two, three all the way to Columbia uh, for a big chunk of time. And it was a lot. It yes. Was emotionally, physically draining to get to uh, 5.50 p.m. classes and be in two classes till about 9 p.m. But uh, a, my manager was very supporting. And two, I feel like I made a, an a great network, learned so much. My my work experience was translating into classroom projects and classroom projects were helping me take uh, details back to work. Mm -hmm. So long story short, uh, we got absorbed into um, what was that time called uh, Global Corporate Finance. We called it the GCF division. Mm -hmm. It was was the investment bank and a lot of changes were happening i got to take on additional businesses but i was realizing that sometimes uh, the the people at db that were there for errors and errors they didn't leave on their own db at times restructured them mm -hmm. and i felt like am i my best version almost six years in and do I need to learn more? So um, one of our senior heads of the business went to Credit Suisse at that time. And um, the business again was changing and Credit Suisse was going through its own M&A uh, activity mm -hmm. of DLJ. So uh, again, I said, okay, seems like the timing. 2006 was, it was huge and positive. And I made the switch to go to Credit Suisse, where I got to learn a whole new line of business. So I went from transaction bank, investment bank, to now learning about the sales and trading business. And it was a completely different personality of professionals to yeah. interact with, deal with. The trading floor was at times so scary, so intimidating such smart people, such big personalities. And I feel like I thrived. Yep. And then unfortunately, 2007, eight happened. And it was a very scary time for the bank, for society as a young professional in finance. And um, I, at that time I realized, I think I want to change in, in life yep. and, and career. Um, uh, 
my dad had passed away, my dad passed away in early 2008 and I just felt like I needed a, a big change. So I, I decided I wanted to move to Dubai. And okay. So hold I- on one sec. Hold on one sec. I have so, I have a bunch of questions for you before we, we keep going because um, I don't want to, I don't want to forget some of the things you said about your earlier part of your career. Cause I think it's really important as an HR person for people to understand how these, the, you know, an HR career can evolve. Um, you mentioned that you were a, you know, like a math spreadsheet analytical type of person. I think a lot of people don't think of HR people like that. I personally feel that it is a huge advantage when you're an HR person to also have those skills, especially in financial services. It helps you to, you know, to do lots of different things, but understand folks better. What is your opinion on that in terms of like, how did those kinds of things help you go from a comp compensation person, which is historically more analytical, data-driven spreadsheets and that kind of thing, to more of an HR generalist? Like what, where do you feel like that you had that advantage? No, that's a good point and good question. I actually also uh, at times get turned off by HR just being associated with being the the people pleaser, people center. It's no, it people are the center of an organization. They are the most valuable asset for an organization. If key two to three people depart an organization, uh, an organization at times could come down to its knees. We just saw this two weeks ago with Sam Altman at OpenAI and uh, uh, the, he, albeit he's the CEO, but 700 people were willing to depart um, because this in, individual wasn't going to no longer be around leading right. them and being part of the their, their center nucleus. So w- what I mean by this, they're behind the people factor. There's an element on uh, one, um, attracting them, yep. retaining them, rewarding them. And a lot of that is science. A lot of that is art. A lot of that is instinctual. So put that all together um, and understanding what they do, uh, whether it be underwrite, uh, model, uh, securitize real estate, or uh, work on um, a CDO desk or uh, algo um, algo trading desk. You have to understand what they do, how they work, um, what makes them click, yeah. how the revenue is generated at the organization. Albeit at times um, they say that HR is a cost center and not a profit center. And for that, um, I have a response. I absolutely believe I'm a profit center because uh, without my coaching, guidance, involvement, again, that art, science, and instinct, I help to deliver on the profit center and help people be their best, help people excel, help people attract other people who then help expand um, profits. So uh, when someone says to you, oh, you're an HR, oh, you must really like working with people. Contrary to uh, potential popular opinion, some HR people may actually not even like people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That it's a little more tongue in cheek. It's more about 
running an organization or helping or setting up the organization to run efficiently with the right people in the right seats. And again, um, the trains running on time, um, uh, um, the people delivering this, this is part of why businesses exist. And it's the difference between successful businesses and those that are not successful. So yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think there's two pieces here. One is, you know, having those analytical capabilities and skills helps you understand the business, especially when you're, you know, when you're covering HR and financial services, which is very driven by a lot of that kind of stuff. I also think it helps be a really strong HR professional because there's analytics that go on around people and performance and compensation and turnover and diversity and all of that kind of stuff that you can't do if you're just a people person. And so to your point, I think HR gets a bad rap in that regard. And I will also say, and this is where, honestly, I think of you when I when I say this for real, the people that understand the business in HR it's what it what it's what makes an HR department go from good to great. I say that with recruiters. If you can recruit in a business that you truly understand the business, you are you can be great. If you don't understand the business, you might be able to be good, but you're scratching the surface and you can't represent your clients in the way that you should. So, I appreciate everything you're saying and I think of you in knowing you as such a um, a person embedded in the business who understands it, who can speak intelligently about it, who can be the arm that represents the human capital to the leadership of your business, which is what makes an HR person truly valuable, as opposed to a figurehead who's a policeman, you know, trying to protect the firm from legal issues. Um, So I I really do appreciate that. So let's go back to, um, you know, you were at Credit Suisse, things were, you know, strange and and difficult during, you know, in the, in the late 2001st decade. Um, I don't know what they refer to it anymore. And you started to say that you made a move to, that you wanted to go to Dubai and you went to Dubai. I I went on vacation and I interviewed and I, uh, I had a very candid discussion with our head of our team and I described it like I want to take on on more. I had a short-term assignment for a few months during my time at DB, and it was exciting, fun, engaging, and living abroad um, for a period and getting involved. But it was um, something I wanted a little with a little more permanency. So I had exposure to having um, worked in a professional setting in uh, in an overseas environment. But now, I, again, I wanted it to be. Uh, a driver, uh, again, to um, see and be involved in global projects and really also add to my own offering as an HR professional and seeing things just as uh, five years down the line, 10 years down the line. Uh, uh, these opportunities don't come um, come out or are offered um Um, frequently to particularly HR professionals. So if anybody is ever given that chance to work in a global organization, I highly, highly recommend that not only once you do it multiple times to work in a different, a completely different jurisdiction in a different cultural environment with a different set of 
uh, legal set of rules, laws, and get that experience. One, it's so enriching. Two, it's so additive from a skills, uh, skills um, as a professional. And three, uh, the people you meet and the experiences and exposures you have is un- unmatchable. Yeah. Um, the virtual world is great, but being in person is is uh, uh, unlike anything else. So I just to add one point there. Um, it's I I couldn't agree with you more. And it's you know we're in a global world, right? We're in a global environment. Things are getting more and more. If you don't use what you learned by living somewhere else at least you understand the concept of people being different, of people thinking differently, of people having different wants and needs and styles and all of that kind of stuff, which I just think if nothing else, it makes you a better employee, a better leader, a better HR person, you know, in terms of being able to recognize differences in people because our, we live especially in New York, we live in a melting pot. We hire people of all different backgrounds and understanding that it's not just one way and it's not just, you know, one way of thinking and doing, or at least there's a cultural shift that might have to happen if someone's coming from somewhere else and they have to fit in and having a tolerance and understanding of that, I think is so invaluable that um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's great. Yeah, no. And it was, again, very additive. So I, I got to um, I got to a conversation and my um, the head of the team uh, said, well, that role in Dubai actually went to your team member in London. So she's moving from London to Dubai. So how about you move to New York to London? And I said, oh, OK. And that's very interesting. I didn't think of that. She said, well, you have um, two days. Think about it and come back to me. And so I thought about it. And then I said, okay, I'm doing this. So uh, I landed in London at the time of all this global financial crisis. I think that same week before or, or no, week later, Lehman went under and it just said, oh, my gosh, what what will be happening? We'll, we'll yeah. have to see us. I worked at Lehman at that time too. So you're hitting on all my old uh, companies that went under, but it it was very scary. But at the same time, I felt like Credit Suisse was giving me support an opportunity and trusting me. And I felt like you're going to run with this and go with it. And so I went through um, getting on the plane, packing my apartment and moved over and lived in Kensington, very cool, learned all kinds of experiences, um, took all these training, legal seminars, got involved with HR, um, a new office opening in Johannesburg, an office opening in Moscow, office opening in Istanbul. I mean, you name it, I feel like I got my hands involved. Um, Again, um, interacted and got exposure to some of the most the most smartest people I would say in the world. So many of them still are my friends, actually a really, truly smart, wonderful business leader um, that um, I got to know during that time. He's running for uh, an MP seat in, in London right now. I mean, I feel like CS had the who's who uh, that 
uh, call themselves alumni of Curtis. Yeah. So, so, so that w- I can't. I don't think anything else comes close to that. Yeah. And um, almost uh, two and a half years later, they said the team was going through restructuring in New York, and they said, "Oh, we need you back." And I said, "Oh, really?" And <laughs> said, okay. So they said, "No, act. We were having a situation." Yeah. And I said, oh, man, so does this mean my career in London is ending or CS is ending? So I took the plane back and I moved back to New York. And at that time, the bank was going through a lot of issues. Dodge what year was this? 10? This was 2011. 2011. 2011. The bank was going through all these issues. Dodd-Frank. Uh-huh. Um, and just learning uh, Basel III. No, Basel II was being uh-huh. introduced. And... Uh, we were figuring out what we were going to be, but the bank was starting to perform well. And the business I was a part of uh, was struggling, but still figuring its path out. And um, HR at that time at at CS became very restrictive, I feel. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as, as, um, as much of a, I would call it an open oyster to... Um, from a hiring, learning development, expansive opportunities, like I did in the previous, um, uh, I would call it three, four years. Mm -hmm. It was more contracted, more restrictive, very, 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 very compliance-oriented because the regulators were all over us, both on the U.S. and European, U.K. side. And I felt like my role had changed so much and what was going to be my evolution um, as a as a professional? Now that I feel like I had touched all parts of the investment banking environment, I understood uh, what the business was doing. I had uh, made such great relationships, and one from a, a getting more responsibility and getting more into a leadership oriented role. And two, having a bigger seat at the table. And three, now really having covered so many elements like, again, compensation, uh, recruiting, uh, becoming a campus recruiting expert, working on diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, uh, doing internal mobility, uh, having been internal mobile and worked at really two really, really big uh, European centric mm-hmm. um, investment banks i felt like something else needed to happen and i was passively starting to check out the market about my next role and i got um i caught call, got called on this role that i'm in and uh-huh. I, I was referred to a a, a a mentor and an ex-boss who um i think got the call initially and she said well i'm not moving but you should call this person i think she would be a good person for this role and so i met um at that time my first meeting was with our cfo mm-hmm. and very smart very thoughtful and i really took a deep look at an organization uh, with about 45 people and they also had office in new york london and frankfurt mm-hmm. but a lot of responsibilities um, outside of a lot of what I had been doing, um, for instance, I would not—I was not overseeing benefits. I was not overseeing 
uh, campus recruiting directly and do making and negotiating offers directly at CS and DB. And that would be part of my job mm-hmm. and at the table to be an advisor, um, a right-hand person, a, a, someone who would provide counsel to our CEO and work to make all really key decisions here. It felt unsettling, very unsettling. Like, could I do this? I had many, many meetings, several lunches, and they said, we think you're it. And boom, I got an offer uh, on New Year's Eve in 2013. Wow. And I was in skiing in Colorado, and I picked up the call, and I said, okay, let me get back to you. And uh, after I came back from Colorado, I accepted the offer, Uh worked through um, to do the year-end process at CS. And then uh, after my review in 2014, I gave my notice. So uh, I landed here in early, mid-2014. And now it's been nine and a half years. Almost 10 years. Yeah, a lot. This is the longest yeah. I've been in a, in a, in a job in a uh-huh. room. Uh-huh. A lot has happened. The, grow, the firm has grown exponentially. Yeah, so how many people are at your firm now? We have uh, 76 people now. So we you have- started So you started with about 45 and now you have 76. That's yeah. pretty remarkable because the market's been so up and down. So you probably yeah. did a lot of hiring one year, a lot less another year, you yeah. know, some turnover. So, um, so, so first of all, you and I left. Credit Suisse almost at the exact same time. I left. I I resigned the day the, my bonus hit my account in 2014. So you and I were on a very similar schedule. Um, so when you went to Madison, tell me. I mean, what was the most obvious things that hit you in terms of small firm versus big firm? I mean, it is dramatically different to run an HR function at a small firm versus being a one of many, 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 many HR people at a large firm, but yet you're also still running your own HR function there. I mean, just like simple things like uh, how do people get uh, hired into and oriented? Uh-huh. I, I took that for granted a little bit. Yeah. And um, um, just having a formal orientation pro- process, programming, uh you call it the first 90 days organized initiation process. We came up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the performance management tool, um, it was being done in a Word document. So that uh, we came up with a process and program for that. Um, yeah, it sounds like you joined. It sounds like you joined, and I and I see this a lot in my in my role. There's a pivotal moment at a firm from a size standpoint when they go from not having infrastructure, like not having a real HR department. They might not have an IR department. They might not have a capital rate. You know, it, you know. There's a lot of different departments that don't fully exist because you're not going to invest in that until you have the money coming in and the investments up and running, and then you can start investing in infrastructure more. It sounds like you came in at that moment when they were moving from, you know, maybe the CFO or COO doing HR stuff with outside counsel to having a real, you know, internal person. So the pressure was on for sure. 
right? Yeah, I, I mean, I I uh, came in and I sat with every single person to get to know that them, uh, understand what they did, how long they've been here, um, what was their expectation and want of HR, and really then uh, get down to business to come up with a plan on what should be my first year goals and what should I focus on? And there was so much to focus on and which way to go. So, um, so we, we got down to business really right away. And uh, each year it's been just not coming up with new projects, but initiatives like succession planning, expanding diversity, equity, inclusion program, harassment training, um, really uh, HR being a, a focal piece for investor due diligence, um, the building out of a new business, new businesses, contracting down from a, a business, opening up new offices, setting up a new team, and in in, again, in the new office, new location like Luxembourg, LA, which are, uh, have just very different legal ramifications and expectations and requirements. So it's been, I would describe, a huge positive learning curve to, um, I would say, as a as a as an HR professional, I I would describe myself as a Swiss Army knife of sorts. I can I could take on a whole lot of a lot of everything and then figure out how to cut things and figure out who to connect, who to um, get a solution from. And really, uh, even if the issue looks like a mountain, how to figure out a way to climb it and, and, and get to the other side. So um, one thing about the big firm versus smaller firm, so many people to make a decision, consensus, and go through the loops and the channels and the layers. And here, oftentimes, I'm the decision maker. I opine. I work with key people. And I say, this makes a lot of sense. This makes sense. So let's go with it. And And do you find, sorry, do you find that in this environment, things can just move? I mean, the big firm thing, and I was there as well, you know, there's there's obviously advantages and disadvantages, infrastructure and, you know, versus, you know, figuring it out. But to your point, I think things move quickly at smaller places because it doesn't have to go through five layers of approval and different countries weighing in and all of that stuff. Do you feel like, I mean, it's scary, right? Like I'm sure your name, you and also in an HR organization, like you were in a Credit Suisse, you know, you have layers. So it's like, there's a lot of people responsible for decisions. You don't, it's not, the buck doesn't stop with you per se. Right. So, you know, I can imagine that that's exciting, but, but, but scary too. Right. Yeah. Exciting is because um, the buck stops with you. So that accountability factor and having the ownership requirement to the, for decisions, believe it or not, a lot. I think a lot of um, times people say they want to be in a seat and have the responsibility, but when it comes time to uh, the responsibility of owning the decision and making the decision, a lot of people chicken out. 
So I my tip is uh, do not chicken out and trust your instincts. Trust your experience. I would say experience and having multiple reps is the mother of all teachers. And do not be afraid uh, to voice an opinion and 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 raise your hand and say I have something to add. And how do we how do we think about or how do we how about we consider doing it this way? And more times than not, people will listen to your opinion, will ask you questions, and take your input and and pivot to going with the commingled or a mixed solution. So um, HR should always be part of that process, uh, whether it's uh, the recruiting, uh, whether it's restructuring, whether it's expanding a business, opening a new office, uh, thinking about the succession plan, and not be just an administrative part of the organization. It's a strategic, it's a strategic role. You need to make yeah. it a strategic role, right? But I would also add, and, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, you have to do that at a place where you know you're going to get the support that you need and that the culture is right for you, which could be different for everyone, right? But there are people that, to your point earlier, would rather be in a role where they don't have to take, you know, the buck doesn't totally stop with them. There's something to, you know, sort of protect the decisions and ultimately the CEO or the CEO, whatever makes the decision. And there are other, you know, roles and places where you're the senior, most senior HR person in the room and you got to stand behind your decisions, but we will support you because you will make mistakes, right? So talk a little bit about that and any particular experiences that you might've had. Yeah, and I would say um, the making mistakes. Uh, I would say yes. Um, I'm I'm a human too, and I've had uh, slip ups here and there. And um, the 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 slip up scenario is um, uh, don't feel like you need to just um, run it and own it and find the solution all by yourself because you're in solo setup, even in a small organization. If the slip ups happen, go ask, as you mentioned, for that support, get a a team member or select group of team members in, give your boss, especially if your boss is the CEO, a heads up that we've hit into this, call it mine or a bump. And we're going through this situation and um, there's possible legal ramifications, there's risk associated, but I want to keep you in the loop and we are going to figure a way to address it. Uh, 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 Don't try to be the Superman situation either. Uh, Because again, that Swiss Army knife times, you could think you're Superman, but um, very likely than not, you're you're not. So um, uh, uh, lean into your CFO team or the head of, lean into... um, a GC leaning and, and, and do not go talk to your boss about everything and, and have, uh, provide what's happening. What ha- isn't happening. Correct. If there's a situation and provide with, but we're, we're dealing with it. And these are the solutions and paths for recovery or turning around. I'm a believer. Like, don't, don't tell me about, that problem, this, and this is a history of the problem. Let's see. Okay, I got it. Now tell me how are we going to address it and what's the path forward? 
people listen to solutions. People like interacting with those who are problem solvers. Those people get your ear, uh, you get their ear. So uh, as HR, we're always going to be dealing with problems 24-7. Got it. Also be um, a solutions delivery oriented person as well. Right. Um, and I think, I think um, understanding the resources that you have around you, um, understanding where you might have more of a weakness than somewhere than an other area where your is your strength, not having those blind spots, right. And leveraging the talent that you have around you to fill in the gaps. Um, but I think to your point also about um, coming up with solutions, you're not going to be in a senior level role playing the role that you do, getting paid the way you get paid, if everything you, everything that needs to happen, you run by, you know, that you have to get an answer from someone and you're just pr proposing the problem. You're there to solve problems. Um, and so you're not, you know, you can't be valuable and you can't be strategic if all you do is ask someone else for solutions. Um, and I think that's a lesson that people learn throughout their whole career. You know, at what level, you know, what is what is your responsibility at a particular level to be able to have a solution versus escalating a problem and judgment, judgment as to when you really do need to escalate versus <clears throat> that you should be able to solve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, it, I'm not. Again, back to that uh, revenue generating profit center versus cost center act and deliver like a profit center would be my short yeah. Short advice. Yeah. Um, Norshina, okay. So as we're we're winding down, um, getting towards the end, and this has been amazing and you know, invaluable in terms of like your experience and the um the wisdom that you impart is is amazing. Um and you know you and I were together yesterday at an event um where you sat on a panel um at um uh Fordham University's um, real estate uh, uh, program. And you were asked to sit on a panel to talk about Gen Z and the feedback was phenomenal, has been phenomenal to the point where you might actually, you know, make, make the big spotlight um, <laughs> and, you know, ends up in Capitol Hill or somewhere like that um, or just be famous. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, um, the information that you impart is really, really helpful and useful to people. Tell me, tell me if you've had someone who's been a mentor or like the best career advice that you ever got or, or something that sort of stands out to you as like, this is something that goes through my mind all the time. I had a, I had a, a boss, uh, um, at Deutsche Bank and on uh, I was there on 9/11 and she, I was in I was in building uh, one Liberty Plaza and she was in the sister building behind at what was called Four Albany Street and so we ran from that setup at, at, at different times, different locations and uh, just to give you a little background, um, we were everyone was very 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 traumatized from the experience and coming back to work and dealing with the world and uh, being so junior and almost like what impact am I gonna have is world gonna go on am I gonna have a job um, coming out of school just your uh, 
how are you going to be remaining relevant? She said, we're going to get through this and keep realizing that at times like this, people depend on you. We are, are, are paid to be uh, deliverers of, of Q and a follow-up. Let's be strong for our team. And, um, and this is no time to fall apart. And I would say she's, I, I have, I have lunch coming up with her on the, on the 19th. It's elements of this HR being, uh, again, that strategic uh, center of advisory on what goes right, what goes wrong, that solidness that uh, I, I can't uh, just help to, to provide the importance of keeping solid. We all go through ups and downs, but being in this role, people look to us for direction, advice, coaching, and I have I have myself at times keep my emotions in check, uh, be a person of lead by lead by example, and really um, think about not just yourself but the organization as a whole and your role and what what you, role you play, and so that that call it the wisdom, just being solid and show up and deliver. Um, it, I feel that that's my mantra on a daily basis. Yeah. Like- and I think it's, it's so interesting to me because, um, because you, you know, you're, you learn and you grow in your role for all the things that your role encompasses on a daily basis, but you can never predict those kinds of things like 9-11, and I was in the World Financial Center at that time as well, and you cannot predict things like COVID and what it takes to, and I'm sure, even though they're totally different situations, when COVID hit, it was a to- it was a wrench that you couldn't even imagine could happen. Yeah. And where you might have been terrified and, you know, unsure and insecure and all of those things, you, to your point, you know how to step in and create policies you never had to do before and network with people you never had to before and, and be a rock and be solid and show up. So I think that's I think that's brilliant um, advice in terms of or brilliant learning in terms of this person telling you how you need to be in a crisis because it wasn't going to be the first crisis you were going to experience. And as an HR person, you got to you got to be the person that everyone else turns to. It's not about you in that moment. Right. And it, it fortunately, unfortunately, comes with the job, whether you're at a junior level of your career, mid or senior level. It's this this center, a solidifying resource that people come to for a solution. And right. so go back to whether you want to be a Swiss Army knife or whatever. Think about offering solutions, uh, uh, lean in on key leaders, and don't try to be Superman all at the same time, too. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, that was amazing. I so appreciate your time, Norsheen. I think that, you know, the, the, the HR community can learn a ton from you. I think you embody one of the things I'm most impressed with, honestly, and we talked about this earlier on, but you embody a person who bring, who understands the business and is seen as a tr- strategic business leader, which is what I think gives HR a great name in this, in this world that we live in. And, um, you know, I, I fully enjoyed working with you. 
And um, I so appreciate you doing this podcast and hopefully lots of people will hear it and your, your fame, your fame will continue. Um, so thanks so much. Thanks. This, this was really great. I'm happy for questions, follow-ups. I, I, I receive a lot of exploratory touch bases on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to, um, I'm always happy to offer up advice coaching or just insights into what worked for me may not work for you but if there's a a way i can help provide insights uh, for anybody somebody i'm happy to do so 